so much, Dr. Cho. I just hope that introduction was not taking away from my 15 to 20 minutes. I know you guys have a really important meeting after today's service, and I think it's very apropos for us to be talking about unity in community today. Uh, having listened to that long bio, you know part of my testimony, and I'll drill down on that just a little. I'm gonna ask Audrey if you will be my timekeeper. I see a clock on the back wall that says 1030. Um, and I grew up in the South, as Dr. Cho said. To ask a 67-year-old black woman who grew up in a Baptist church to speak for 15 minutes and share her testimony is ridiculous. <laughs> so I'm gonna do the best I can. Following Tim Keller is, is no easy thing to do. But I just wanna uh, just emphasize some things that you guys see every time you come in, anytime you're on Restoration Community Church's website, it's who you are. But this is what the Holy Spirit gave me to tell you. Restoration Community Church. The word unity, those five letters, U-N-I-T-Y, means you and I together yielding. We need to be very conscious of God's call for us to be in unity and to yield to him, to his sovereignty, to his guidance, to his leadership. Another thing that I see in the word community is opportunity. As I watched the people coming in today, I was just, my heart actually took a little leap for joy because of the number of young people. Not just the young children who've gone upstairs now, but the young adults. This speaks of your continuity. I know unity's not in there, but if you like word puzzles like I do, move those letters around a little bit. In order for you to have continuity as a community, please, I encourage you to nurture and guide these young people. All right, so I prepared something, but everything I just said, the Holy Spirit gave me while I was sitting there. And I just wanted um, to share, hopefully, a little bit of this. And reflecting on the significance of community in our lives. We're in a world that emphasizes uniqueness, individual success, personal achievements. But don't forget the transformative power that comes from being a part of a community. The ultimate example, as Tim Keller said, of community was set by Jesus himself. He gathered a diverse group of men and to surround him, creating a community of love, a community of forgiveness and acceptance. As 1 John 13, 34 through 35 reads, Jesus says, 
I give you a new command. Love one another. It's just that simple. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are Christ's disciples if you love one another. Community is not just a space. It's that feeling, that sense of belonging. And you know you have your people. When you are with your people, you feel safe, you feel loved, you feel valued. That's community. Let's cherish and nurture the communities that we are part of, our families, our churches, our neighborhoods, and be intentional about building connections, extending grace, fostering a spirit of unity, so that together we're able to weather the storms, celebrate the victories, and most importantly, reflect the love of Christ in a world of need. Remember Tim Keller said, we can't reach the world outside of community. Yeah, there could be evangelists like Billy Graham was who preached the gospel to millions of people across the world. But ultimately, once a person accepts Christ, then we have to follow that command to be in fellowship and in unity with one another so that we can grow and understand more about the person of Jesus Christ, receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and live in unity. So Jesus shared many parables. I call them his stories. So I will share uh, a little bit about my story in the way of trying to stress the importance of unity. Not the I, but the we. Uh, the church I grew up in, we used to have a saying, there's no big I's and little U's in unity. During my junior year of college, I was working two jobs, one on campus at the campus information desk, in the student union building. So I met and greeted lots of people every day. My second job was sitting alone in a little closet and I was the switchboard operator and anyone under 60 probably doesn't know what that means, uh, at Sears. And so people would call the Sears store in Tuscaloosa, Alabama and in the evenings from 6 to 9 p.m., I would answer the phone. Thank you for calling Sears where America shops. How may I direct your call? The Oprah voice, you know. So this junior, 19-year-old junior, is working two jobs to pay for college and living expenses. But I was part of several communities. One was the Baptist Student Union. One was Army ROTC. One was the Afro-American Association. 
these were organizations that helped me to find my place and space at the University of Alabama. This was 1976, and as Dr. Cho said, it had only been 13 years since the governor of the state, okay, get that in your head, the governor of the state stands in the door to deny admission to black students. The president of the United States sent in the National Guard to remove him so that the first two black students could enter and register for college. So here we are, 13 years later, there's little Billy at work on a switchboard at Sears, and I get a call from the president of the Afro-American Association. And he says, Billy, I want you um, to come on campus and sign this application. We're submitting the applications for candidates for homecoming queen. And our goal, remember that word, goal, our goal is to submit at least 10 black girls because our plan is that if things go as we predict, that at least one of those 10 is going to end up in the final running of the 12 girls that will be considered and voted upon. I said to Galen Skip Hughes, you know good and well, I don't have a car. I'm not coming back to campus tonight to sign some piece of paper. You could just sign my name. He's like, absolutely not. I will come and pick you up. We are paying the application fee, but I need you to come and sign this paper and we will slide it under the door of the student government office because all applications need to be in by midnight and we just need one more person. Oh, thank you. I'm the Johnny come lately. We're just trying to meet a goal of having 10 young women. And he said, well, ultimately, Billy, I'll be honest. We feel pretty sure that Cheryl Lundy, who just happened to be my best friend, will be the one black girl. If there are two selected by the judges, one will step back so that we will have the power this has to do with the power of unity, the power of the block, B-L-O-C-K, vote. That was my first lesson in political science. And I was like, okay, whatever. You know, to me, he had communicated, this is all about Cheryl. We just need your name, your signature on the application. Don't worry about it. I was like, okay, cool. So I went on campus, I signed a piece of paper, you know, I was like, whatever, I'm hungry. Could you now take me home? Because I told my roommate she didn't need to come and pick me up. Uh, but to make a long story short, you guys, the 112 young women who were candidates for Homecoming Queen were all interviewed over a three-day process by alumni and um, politicians from throughout the state, 
there was a black woman who was, prob was probably the age I am now. So I saw her as this elderly black woman who was on this committee. So you go into this real fancy room at the university and you sit in this chair and there are people on both sides of you, maybe two and two, and they interview you. Most people ask you questions like, why did you choose the University of Alabama? What are your career aspirations? And lo and behold, this black woman looked at me, this old woman, and she said, how do you feel about premarital sex? <laughs> Ooh, Jesus. I'm like, you know, I thought this, this, this was my girl, okay? <laughs> oh, but the Holy Spirit brought back to my remembrance my very first speech I gave in my speech one-on-one class at the University of Alabama when I first got there. It was a speech I gave stating the female opposition to premarital sex. So I sat there, I looked her in the eye, and gave her snippets from my speech. When I got out of that room, I was like, this woman turned on me. How is she going to ask me a question like this in front of these other people. It took 50 years for me to get my answer. And one day it dawned on me. She set me up for success. As an older black woman, she knew that in order for me to be sitting in that chair in the first place, I must have my stuff together in order for me to have been admitted to the University of Alabama, I must have, y'all gonna try to trip me up, I must have something going for me. Okay, so let's wrap it up. Girlfriend set me up for success. I gave the answer, answered all the other questions, but I'm still really not stressed about it because I'm off the hook. This is all about my best friend, Cheryl, being selected in, in the top 12 girls, and then the student body's gonna vote, and then we have the power of the block vote because there's 900 black students, and maybe 30% of them will go to the polls. So the Afro-American Association ran a campaign to contact people to offer to drive them because you had to actually physically go and cast your vote. There's 12 girls on the ballot. There are uh, posters all over campus with these 12 girls. And it was like, I hope this isn't offensive, but in the South we say, a fly in the buttermilk. You didn't get it. <laughs> it's okay, think about it, process that. Okay, there's a poster, there's 12 girls. All of them look alike, although some are blonde, some are brunette but they're all white, and then there's this little speck. Voting day, people go to the polls. I won't tell you how it ended up being me and not Cheryl, okay? But I did know a lot of people, but guess who I knew? I knew God. I didn't even want this. It was not about me. It was about the community coming up with a plan 
and a strategy to fulfill their purpose. And it was me. The student body voted. And on Friday night of the pep rally, all the students gather on what was called the quad. And on the steps of the library, you know, there's all these speakers. Those of you who are football people, Bear Bryant was there, uh, the president of the college. And they began uh, preparations to announce the winner or who's going to be the homecoming winner. They announced the fourth runner-up, and they read a short bio of the fourth runner-up. They read a short bio of the third runner-up. They read a short bio of the second runner-up, and I hear Army ROTC Student Government High School Recruitment Committee, and I'm like, oh, but then they said, you know, some other things, and it wasn't me. Then the first runner-up, and by this point, the black students who had gathered on the quad are just in an uproar. Because now it appears to them, I didn't make the court. And ultimately, that was probably what would have been a reasonable expectation, that I would be one of the girls in the homecoming court. Well, lo and behold, The person reads the short bio of the girl who is going to reign as homecoming queen. And she is on Student Government High School Recruitment Committee. She is part of Baptist Student She is part of Army ROTC. And she is part of the Afro-American Association and has the largest group of brothers and sisters on campus. I felt my roommate push me, and I was on the steps of Amelia Gorgas Library on the quad at the University of Alabama, and my first thought was, these Klansmen are gonna kill me. And it, it wasn't you know, a ridiculous thought. I shared this not to bring attention to me, but because you know somebody you guys all know wanted me to come and share this testimony. I did, uh, the next day, um, receive a crown from the governor as I kneeled to him for more than 19 minutes. The press was all focused on him. He was in a wheelchair. There was an attempted assassination when he was running for president of the United States. You guys, this man was probably about that close to, to winning the presidency of the United States. Based on the platform, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Does that sound like unity? So I thank and praise God for the opportunity to share that little testimony with you guys you can Google George C. Wallace, and you'll see lots of pictures of him. Um, you may even um, have opportunity to listen to a video, watch a video, and listen to the audio of him giving that. Family.
famous segregation speech. If you Google, I, I hate sharing my middle name, Billy Faye Scott, you will learn that I was actually the second black woman crowned homecoming queen at Alabama. The first uh, was a young woman named Terry Points, and it was during what would have been my senior year in high school, just three years prior. And the University of Alabama is pretty much ruled, if you will, by student organizations. And there was something called the, and I can't remember it, so it's not important, and I'm running out of town, time. But what they said when Terry Points was crowned was this will never happen again. But three years later, this little country girl from Elba got to wear that crown and shake hands with Governor George C. Wallace. The power of unity is transformative. Stick together, people. There's an old, um, I think, slave song called Walk Together Children, Don't You Get Tired. And to RCC, I just want to leave you with this. There is unity in your community. Stand together, have a plan, and stick to your purpose, and may God bless you. Thank you.